0: This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. I don't know about all of you, but I'm pretty excited about what what God is doing right now in the world, what He's doing everywhere. It's just... uh, It's pretty amazing to see him moving and so many times we stop and we focus on what's going on right around us and don't realize to look beyond. Look beyond what we're seeing with our eyes. Look beyond what we're experiencing in the natural and just see God at work. It's really plain to me. Looking at the scripture, obviously, with twenty twenty rear vision, is that throughout history, all the followers of God thought they had figured out what God was going to do and the way he was going to do it, and it really never happened that way, because they were always focused on what was going on right in front of them. They were always focused on what they could see, what they could taste, what they could touch, and... Sometimes we have to step outside of that to see what God is doing. So tonight I'm going to talk about church expectations. Uh, I think we get wrong expectations about what church is and what church isn't. And so I'm going to read here in Acts. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had engaged themselves in a serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they pressed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the great conversation of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. And then the apostles and the elders gathered together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you. And by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit. Just as he also did to us, he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting this yoke on the disciples' necks? and that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through grace by the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way they are. I'm letting our translator keep up. So, during the early foundations of Christianity, even the thought of creating a church was a completely new idea. See, that's all we've ever known. We've only known the church in all of its forms. (laughs) But that's all we've ever known. See, the Jewish Christians tried to push the laws of Moses onto the Gentiles. And and when they heard that, when, when... When Peter heard this, he stood up and he reminded him, you know what? You're saved by grace and love, not by forcing certain traditions onto others. The sad part is the church as a whole, we try and force traditions and we try and force things that either we were taught, or that's the way we were brought up, or that's the way we were brought into the body, or what we've read, or what? Somebody has written down, these are the paths to do things. See, traditionalism is still common today. In the modern day church, we also forget what, what even going to church means. We, we seem to forget that even what going to church is about God makes it very clear throughout the scripture how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do. And the more and more I read and I compare what we do and what the scripture says, we miss it on so many levels. You know what? The the church in John 3:15 and 16 the the church is called to love. We're supposed to be just like Jesus, following after the heart and following after what God the Father does. Isn't that true? John fifteen three, fifteen and 16 says, for God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Because God didn't give his son for any other reason than for us. Not that we'd be punished. He gave his son that we'd be reconciled to him. In First John 3.16, I think it's kind of interesting the way man adds numbers and God divinely uses it as a play. (laughs) It says, this is how we have come to know the love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, what we're really called to do is to love one another. These two passages show what a great love that God has for each and every one of us. When they were talking to Jesus, they said, how are they going to even know who we are? And he says, they're going to know who we are by our love, one for another. That's what's going to set us apart. And the church today has failed so greatly. We can tell people to read. We can tell people what to do. We can tell people not what to do. But the real question is, Are we loving the people around us? Are we loving our neighbor? See, it's such an amazing love that he demonstrated to us that when you truly experience it, you have no option but to love those around you. No matter who they are, no matter what they're doing. See, too many times (laughs) we're at each other's throats instead of loving each other. Too many times we're spending all of our time pointing out other people's faults, which is really just glorifying ourselves because we're better because we don't have those same faults. Isn't that really the bottom line truth of it. I think when the church gets back to loving others, when the church gets back to, you got to realize we are the church, it's not a building. (laughs) So when the church gets back to loving ourselves as God loves us, when we start looking in the mirror and realizing how much we're loved, When we look in the mirror and realize what a great price was paid for us, the way we are right now today, the way we were before we knew him. When we start to even minusculely realize that and we start letting that shine, that's That's when the church is going to grow. That's when we're going to start living up to our expectation. Church, if we can't love ourselves, how are we going to love others around us? See, the problem in the New Testament church was they had rules. Why? Because they came out of rules and that's the only thing they knew. And so first of all, they weren't supposed to witness to the Gentiles. But when God shows up and says, Hey, (laughs) this is what I have for you. You're going to witness to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are going to be saved. Nobody could argue with what God said. So right there, they were already breaking the rules. They were breaking the laws as they saw them. But the reality was on the other side is, even when they realized God had spoken, even when they realized what God was doing, even when they realized what was going on, they immediately reverted back to, okay, we can reach out to these people, but they still have to follow the same rules. And I love love Peter's response there was, We couldn't even follow the rules, and you expect them to follow the rules. We've already tried that. We've already been down this road, and Jesus came and showed us the other way. He showed us the perfect way. He walked it out. Peter realized that. They were arguing. They came to him, and they were arguing from a doctrinal standpoint and I really believe Peter just brought it home and he says, we couldn't even live up to it. It's not about you're right and we're wrong and, 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 or you're, you're wrong and we're right. It's, it's not about any of that. It's are we doing what the master did when he walked with us? When he ate with us? Are we doing what he did when we were there with him? See, in Romans 2, 1 through 3, it tells us that the church is not to judge. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same thing. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think that any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? You know what the church does today? We judge people instead of build them up. We point out all their faults instead of looking beyond that and seeing who they are in Christ. The reality is we we look at their outward appearance, we look at their lifestyle, we look at all those things, and we never look at who God's called them to be, and we never get behind how God sees them. But we want God to see us through his son, but we want God to see them like we see him. We're expecting God to wear a different pair of glasses than we wear. See, when Paul was writing to the church at Rome, he's saying we've fallen short in this area. We need to realize that when we're judging, we're just judging ourselves. We think we're judging others. We think we're pointing out their faults. We think that we're trying to help them be better. But in reality, we're just tearing people down. You know what? If we want to see revival, if we want to see God's great move, We gotta be able to lay stuff aside. We gotta be able to lay stuff down. We gotta realize that God is not gonna do stuff the same way He did yesterday. See, in Ephesians, we're called to edify everyone, to build them up, and to help them grow as fellow Christians. I think about a year and a half ago when we had this phenomenal opportunity to be grafted in to become a part of the Catch the Fire family. I I look at and I I had heard Randy many times both in tape, I've, I've seen it in writing, and I've actually heard him answer questions about the revival that happened there at the Toronto Airport Vineyard. In fact, when that all was going on, I was a baby Christian, and everybody at the church we were at saying, "Oh, you can't have anything to do with what's going on there." You know, they're 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 laughing, they're barking like dogs. People are stuck to the floor. I mean, you just can't have. Any part of that. And I was at a charismatic, tongue-talking church. (laughs) But this was beyond what they thought. And you know what? The Baptist church down the street thought that we were beyond what they thought. (laughs) And I really believe the Methodist church and the Presbyterian church and the Catholic church farther down the street thought the Baptist church was crazy. See, everybody had somebody else to point the finger at. But I can tell you this, as time went by and I was able to sit in rooms with these people and I was able to actually hear their stories and hear what God had done. People around the world look at Heidi and Roland Baker and they say, wow, this is amazing. But when you realize, they came to the Toronto Vineyard as broken, totally distraught, ready to give up on the world, missionaries. They had tried everything and nothing was working after years and years and years. And one of those unthinkables happened. Had he got prayed for and was stuck to the floor for days. They had to carry her in. They had to carry her out. She couldn't function. But during that time, God broke down different things in her life and revealed who he was and revealed truths in the scripture that she had obviously read over and over and over and just hadn't got. And and the one I think about that God told her was, They were in Mozambique and she was praying for a certain little area. And one of those days stuck to the floor. God reminded her what his word said. Said, I've given you the nations as your inheritance. Why are you asking for this little thing? Why are you asking for this city I've given you the nations for your inheritance. You know what, church? We're begging for our block. We're begging to fill the seats in our building or in our room that we're at. But the reality is, the, the bottom line reality is that we're thinking so small that I really believe so many times God can't even work with us because our thought is so small that we stop before we ever step into the very beginning of what he has. It's like he calls us to the ocean to get refreshed and we're happy dipping our toe in a Dixie cup. And he's trying to tell us, no, come to the ocean and look out across." You can't see the other side. It's so vast. It's so awesome. (laughs) You don't know what's on the other side, but I'm telling you, on the other side is a very, very great thing, and it's yours. And we settle for, and we're begging for, just to be able to dip our toe. And we don't even want to look across because... We want to look in the Dixie Cup and we want to see all the way around. We want to see every shore. We want to see every border. We want to understand everything about it. We want to know how deep it is. You see, I look back and I see all the great men and women, so many that I've met, so many that nobody's heard of, that are doing great things for God, that went to a place that all the other Christians spoke negatively about and missed stepping into one of the greatest things that God's ever done in our lifetime. One of the greatest moves that God's brought. You see, being with Randy, he was a Baptist. Nobody believed Some of the stuff God was showing him about healing. In fact, they told him, if you stay on this path, and if you keep studying these things, you're never going to go anywhere in the church. And he's like, but I'm only showing you scripture. His professors couldn't tell him wrong. They couldn't tell him, what you're saying is wrong. It isn't like he had something that he had followed. It isn't like he had seen other people walk down this path. It isn't like he had seen other professors there and other books he was reading talk about these great miraculous healings that were going on. None of that was happening within his sphere of influence And in fact, his fear of influence was ostracizing the ones who did that. And he leaves the country to go speak for a weekend and for 12 years until the SARS epidemic came and they shut down the airports to Toronto for 12 years, six days a week. The building was full. And God showed up and was changing person after person after person after person, breaking them out of what was going on. Breaking them out of legalistic Christianity. Church, I don't want to go back to the circumcision mindset. I don't want to go back to... (coughs) This is the way it's always been done. When Jesus came, he broke out of all the molds. He taught the same word, but he didn't teach it the same way they taught it. You know what? The church is called to share. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, we're called to go and make disciples. It goes way beyond just getting people saved. It doesn't matter what books say. It doesn't matter what studies you're doing. All they need to do is look at the way Jesus made disciples. What did he do? He went and met them where they were. Jesus didn't invite him to the synagogue. He didn't invite him to his home group. Jesus went to where they were recognize the calling on their life, not because they were the greatest educated, not because they were the ones with the biggest crowds, not because they were the influencers, all the reasons we would look to somebody. I think if we read their resumes, we wouldn't have hired any of them to do the job that he had for them. If we looked at him, we would never think these are the people that are gonna change the world when the religious leaders that had scoured the scripture their whole life, when they looked at him, they said, this is worthless. But Jesus saw what the father saw in them. It's kind of like living here in Colorado when you go up in the mountains and I don't know how they did it. Anybody that follows me on Facebook, I've been putting all these pictures of all the 14ers across Colorado. And I've grown up here my whole life. And ever since I was a little kid, I used to try and imagine. (laughs) You're up there hunting or hiking or camping or riding my motorcycle shooting my BB gun. I used to stop and think, (laughs) what did the person in the wagon think (laughs) when they came across the prairie and they started up this road, only there wasn't a road. They were walking where I'm walking, out here in the forest, and there's rocks and there's trees and there's gullies and there's streams and... There's bears and there's mountain lions, there's snow, there's lack of oxygen. What did they think? How did they know when they're just walking along and they look at this mountain and they say, there's gold in them hills? Look at all the mountains we have, just right here in Colorado. How did people know where there was gold? There are telltale signs. I don't know them, but the fact was, they went and they were able to look at a rock. <laughs> they were able to look at the side of a mountain. They were able to look at a stream, and they were able to realize there was something valuable in that hill. And then what did they do? They took a spike, and they took a hammer, and they started cutting through rock. And they would cut until they had a hole. And then pretty soon they would have a tunnel. And they're in there with candles on, and they're digging through rock. Rock. at the hopes of finding gold. You see where I'm going with this? I can't recognize the hill. The only way I know there was gold in those hills is because I can see the tailings of where somebody else went in and dug before I got there. I can see the building where it used to be part of the mine back in the day. I can see where somebody takes a picture or writes in a book. See, it took something special to be able to find the gold. Because if everybody could do it, everybody would have been rich. Jesus, before he went back to heaven... He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's telling us, go and bring out the gold. Go and identify the gold in people's lives. Identify their giftings. Identify their callings. Identify what I have in them. You need to look at that mountain and not see the mountain. You need to see the gold that's buried deep in the rock. And what that also tells me, Is that it's not something simple? It's gonna take work. It's gonna take a chisel. It's gonna take a hammer. It's gonna take dedication. It's gonna take tenacity. And the crazy part is, is we're all called to go and make disciples. We're all called to go get other people saved. We're all called to love them people into the kingdom. The other thing is we're all called and we have to be willing to go. I challenge you, are are you willing to go? Are you willing to step out? Are you willing to go where other people haven't gone? Are you willing to lay your dreams aside? Are you willing to lay your desires aside? Are you willing to lay your agenda aside? Are you willing to focus on what God wants you to focus on? See, I think the other thing that I see over and over, so many people have separated God's will from the perfect will. So we read about the 12 that God called to leave their jobs and go and follow him. But how about the 70? How about the 144? How about the multitude? He didn't call everybody to leave their jobs. He didn't call everybody to leave their families. He didn't call everybody to leave their country. He calls some. But does that mean the call on the multitude is any less than the call on the 12? No, we're all called to do our part. And I really believe when God's asking us, are we willing to go, it's, (laughs) are you willing to go across the aisle to the person next to you in their cubicle? Are you willing to go down the dog food aisle at King Supers? even though you don't have a dog because God wants you to go down there and talk to somebody and you say, well, I'm in a hurry. I have people coming over. I have this to do. I have that to do. I don't even need to go down that aisle so this can't be you, God. So many people say, well, God's not using me in that way. I got to tell you, if you're not willing to go down the dog food aisle, I guarantee you, he's not going to call you to go to another country. If he can't trust you in the little things, how's he going to trust you in the large things? If you can't greet somebody at church that you've never talked to because A, you're in a hurry, or B, you need to go talk to your friends, if you're not willing to show somebody else in that room love, How can he trust you with the greater? See, I think in our opening passage, Peter brings that out so eloquently. (laughs) You guys want to drag everybody back to where we came from, and that didn't work. So I want people just to stop. (laughs) We need to reflect on how we ended up where we are. I guarantee you each and every one of us at some point in time ended up where we are because somebody reached out and loved us. Whether it was a praying grandparent or a praying parent, whether it was a school teacher, whether it was a Sunday school teacher, even though some of us grew up in the church, which was not me, I always hear the story. (laughs) I was in the church and then when I was a youth, this person said this and I felt the love of God or this person reached out to me years later. And In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6 and verse 8, Isaiah says, then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. In the years I've been saved, I've heard so many people talk about that. And people raise their hand and people rush forward and they say, here I am, send me. But so often, (laughs) we choose to act like the men and women in the book of Acts, and we choose to force our way, God, if you really want me to go here, you're going to provide all the money. Hmm. What makes you think that's the way it's going to work? See, we try and force our way. We try, God, if you want me to do this, you're just going to open the doors and people are going to be inviting me to come. See, so many times we try and force our way. Or sometimes God shows us a little bit of favor. God starts to show us who we really are, and somebody recognizes our gift. Wow. That person's really pastoral, and they give them a job to do, and the next thing you know, they think that they rule the universe, and they run off on their own. Everybody has to recognize me now because this group of people, whether it's two or 200, it doesn't matter. Just because somebody recognized me And they saw the gold in me. And as they started to bring it forth. Sometimes we get out and we just try and force our way. Well, this is what God has. And we stop listening to God. And we just take that little piece of his glory. That little piece of the mercy he's given us. And then once again, we take it all all on ourselves. And we say, this is the way it's going to work. You see, we choose to act like the men and women in the book of Acts, and we try and force our way. But you know what? The Bible really shows us how we're supposed to behave. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying any of those things. But how many times when people come against us do we get mad? we want to strike out how come when things don't go our way all of a sudden we're saying God did you abandon me do you ever think maybe he didn't abandon us and he was just maybe we didn't follow the disciples were all in the boat and a storm came <laughs> and what they do they cried out to Jesus We're all going to die. Now to me, because I can just read it in the text and I can see the whole picture. I know the end from the beginning. I understand the beginning now because I know the end. Some of the first times I read that I thought, are you guys stupid or what? He's the Messiah. He can't go down with the boat. He's going to die on a cross after he's turned over, after he's betrayed. And he's going to die, be buried in a tomb, and three days later he's going to rise and they're going to go to the tomb and it's going to be empty. How's he going to drown on the boat? Do you realize that if you all drowned, he drowns. You know what I'm saying? And I'm only saying that because we need to realize sometimes we're crying out to God and saying, God, have you forsaken me? God, have you left me behind? God, why is this all this going on? And did you ever stop and think that maybe we just missed it? What did Jesus show his disciples in that time? You got to remember, they just came where he fed thousands of people with a very little tiny bit of food. You talk about a tangible miracle. This wasn't just a healing. I mean, this was just a straightforward meeting somebody's need as I'm sharing love with them. And love is a lot more than just words. It's a lot more than a tract. It's a lot more than a book or a song. Love means something. And as they were there listening, he fed them. And I've been there to the Sea of Galilee, and it's nothing more than a, a big lake. In fact, you can see all the way across it. It isn't like the Great Lakes up in Michigan. You can see the shore on the other side in all directions. It's big. It's going to take a while to get across, but you can still see across it. As they're leaving to go back to the boat, you know they're saying, "Do you believe what just happened? <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> the loaves and the fish. And look at—we still got all this extra food that we brought back to the boat after we fed everybody and gave them some to take back to their families." They just saw the miraculous hand of God move and the next thing they're crying out, God, you've forsaken us, we're all going to die. <laughs> Look at the storm. And what does he tell them? He stands up and rebukes the storm and then he, re- he rebukes them first for their unbelief and then he rebukes the storm and it stops and he's looking at them like... what's greater being able to stop a storm or multiplying food church we need to step out of where we're at and we need to realize who God is we need to realize the depth of what he's called us to do one thing I've learned from studying and reading up and listening to the testimonies from the Toronto Revival is that God is so much bigger than we can dream or imagine. And we can say that, but it was manifest in that place. And it's still being manifest today. And we need to come together and we need to see that happen in our midst. And the only way it's going to happen in our midst is if we start believing what God believes. If we start doing the things the way God does them. If we start by making disciples and by making disciples, we have to love those around us. We have to see the gold in the rock. When you're up in the mountains, there isn't a big sign that says gold here, like in a, you know, like in a Wiley E. Coyote and Roadrunner film, birdseed, there's not a sign but the creator of the universe knows where the gold is. He knows where the jewels are, he knows where the giftings and callings are, and we need to be willing to lay everything aside and go after it. Isn't that true? Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would change us from the inside out. Lord, we just pray that your kingdom come, your will be done in us. Lord, I pray that you would show us what you were showing Isaiah when you asked, Who was there? when you're asking, Who can I send? Lord, I know that you want to send each and every one of us. But Lord, it goes beyond saying, here I am, send me. (laughs) So Lord, I pray you just open people's minds, open people's hearts, open people so that they would be able to see what you're doing in people, in situations. Lord, I pray that you would just break the hard hardness off of us, like... uh, The disciples had there in Acts when they wanted people to follow the law. Lord, I know that we were taught by great people that did great things, most of us. But Lord, I know those great things might not be the same way we do them today. So Lord, give us the discernment to know what you're calling each and every one of us to do today. The way you're calling us to do it. How and where and when. When. Lord, we don't need to know the why. Forgive us when we ask the why. Lord, today I just pray that we'd be able to say with true clean hearts, here I am, send me. Lord, it might not look like what I think it should look like, but Lord, here I am, send me. I don't care what you have me do, here I am, send me. Lord, if you want to bring revival and you want me to clean the toilets, here I am, send me. If you want me to sweep the parking lot, if you want me to park the cars, if you want me to pray for (laughs) those, Lord, that are lost and that nobody else wants to be around, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, it's not what we're doing, it's who we're doing it for. And Lord, I pray that you would just set those priorities straight inside each and every one of us. Lord, we give you permission tonight, or whenever we're we're watching this, to come in and to fill us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, Lord. Permeate every soul, every cell within our soul, within our body captivate our thoughts and Lord change us from glory to glory we just pray Lord that not our will be done but your will be done here I am Lord send me well thank you for joining and I just pray that your hearts are changed I pray that as you read the scriptures, it would just come alive and jump off the page and change your life from glory to glory that you might experience it firsthand.